Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Well, today uh, we are going to be focusing on the second half of um, the verse uh, in Matthew 6.12 and Luke 11.4. Uh, Pastor Bailey uh, preached last week on forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, and today I'm going to be focusing on the second half of those verses. Um, so let's pray before we go to the Lord with preaching. Father God, please be with us today. Help us to be attentive. Help, uh, help me to be bold and uh, clear as I preach. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, as I begin today, I want to ask a question that needs to be in the back of your mind throughout the entire sermon. And the question is a very simple one. Do you have faith in God? Do you trust Him? Do you trust Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Now, of course, if you're watching today and you call yourself a Christian, you're probably going to answer yes to those questions. That's they are uh, central to what it means to be a Christian, having faith in God and trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. But is it a true or an honest answer? My aim today is to convince us that we are, that uh, our unwillingness to forgive others demonstrates that we actually have no true faith. If we say that we have faith and yet are unwilling to forgive our fellow man, our faith is hypocritical and false. Our scripture passage for today comes from, as I said, Matthew 6 and Luke 11, and let me read those two verses. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's Matthew. And then Luke 11 says, and forgive us our sins for we also, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And so the first point I want to make today is that Jesus is crystal clear at the end of his prayer in Matthew 6. He says, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And in case we didn't get the point the first time, he repeats it uh, negatively. He says, but if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. In case you're wondering, that was a direct quote from Matthew 6, and it is that blunt and that clear. If you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you. Put it another way, there is nothing more important than learning how to forgive others. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells the story of a slave who owed his master a large sum of money. He begs forgiveness in front of his master, and the master forgives him, and then he goes out, that same slave goes out, and he uh, goes to a fellow slave and has that fellow slave sent to jail over a much smaller debt. Jesus doesn't mince words when he describes what happened to that wicked slave. He says, and his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So do you forgive others? Is God's forgiveness important to you? By stating it so bluntly, 
if you do not forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Jesus is teaching us that forgiveness and faith are not so much linked as with a chain, but instead they are inseparable, joined at the hip. They aren't two distinct and necessary elements of your walk with God. You know, you can't say, my faith is strong, but I'm really struggling to forgive someone. The statement is nonsensical. How you forgive is a demonstration of your faith. And we're going to be unpacking this gradually as as we go through this sermon, but first I want to deal with a common objection, and that is simply, if forgiveness comes by the grace of God and not by works, then how can God's forgiveness of me be dependent on my forgiveness of others? Doesn't that mean that I'm earning God's forgiveness? No, it does not. Jesus is not teaching us that somehow our ability to forgive others or our willingness to forgive others somehow merits our, uh, you know, somehow merits God's forgiveness of us. That certainly could never be the case. But what he's teaching us is that forgiving others shows that we have been forgiven by God. Now, it's a very small section of Scripture that I'm... I'm, uh, talking about today, and I want to focus on simply two words. The two words I'm going to focus on are forgive and debt, and we're going to start with the word debt. In Luke 10, a lawyer asks Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus responds with the command to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Immediately, the lawyer wanted to know who exactly qualified as his neighbor. He was being a good lawyer. We're very similar. And, uh, of course, in response, Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. Here in the Lord's Prayer, we are commanded to forgive our debtors. And just like the lawyer questioning Jesus, we want to know, okay, so who is indebted to us? How did they become indebted to us? And what is debt exactly? We get very careful with our definitions. We understand what a debt is perfectly well when it comes to money. Right? When we say to a friend, can I borrow 10 bucks, everyone understands what's going on. He gives you $10, and then at least in your, in your mind and in your friend's mind, you know that you owe him $10. But what is Jesus talking about here? How do we go into debt with each other without money? To understand this, uh, you can turn to Romans 13, verses 7 to 10. It says this, render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes do, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore... Love is the fulfillment of the law. The law of God teaches us that we owe love to one another. It teaches us to respect and honor those above us, to be kind and gentle towards those below us. It teaches us what bosses and employees owe to each other. It teaches us what husbands and wives owe to each other. In every human relationship, the law of God teaches us what we owe to each other. And of course, Jesus sums it up with these words, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. In short, 
we owe love to one another. We have a debt of love to one another, and that debt never stops growing. Now, if you're paying attention and you're honest, this should make you feel like a cornered rat. This is what Jesus does. He gives us no place to run and no place to hide. If you're paying attention, you see that to say that we have a debt of love toward one another blows apart any calculation that we have about our debts to one another. We think that as long as we've done no harm, we've left someone alone, we've fulfilled our obligation. We think that as long as we paid the mortgage and put our food on the table, we've done our duty as a father. We think that as long as we remember her birthday and buy her presents from time to time, we've done our duty as a husband toward our wife. We think that as long as we show up to work on time and don't look at Facebook too much, we've done our duty as an employee. We think that as long as we don't mouth off too much to our parents and we do our chores mostly without complaining, we've done our duty to our parents. These things don't even begin to describe the debts that we owe. If you want to think carefully about the debt of love we owe to one another, I highly recommend taking a look at the section on the Ten Commandments in the Westminster Larger Catechism. It's truly amazing. The section on the Fifth Commandment, for instance, uh, is, of course, to honor your father and your mother. Um, and the, the section in, in the, uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism is just incredible. It starts by explaining that this command to honor father and mother means that we should honor, quote, all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinance, are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or state. So what do we owe our superiors? Not just our parents, but all of them. And this is a bit of a paraphrase. It, said, it says this, the honor which inferiors owe to their superiors is all due reverence in heart, word, and behavior, prayer and thanksgiving for them, imitation of their virtues and graces, willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels, due submission to their corrections, faithfulness to them, defense and maintenance of their persons and authority, bearing with their weaknesses and covering them in love, that so they may be an honor to them and to their government. But wait, there's more. It goes on to explain the sins of inferiors against their superiors, and again I'm paraphrasing, the sins of inferiors against their superiors are all neglect of the duties required toward them, envying at, contempt of, or rebellion against them, cursing, mocking, and the like. So as you can see, the law of love never lessens the weight of the law. The law of love goes through and it touches everything. It expands to fill every void. It makes it more heavy and more comprehensive. We don't even begin to understand the debt of love that we owe to one another. The truth is that we do everything we can to downplay, ignore, and lessen the weight of the law. We do our very best not to notice what's going on around us. We are content to be insensitive, dull, and stupid when it comes to understanding our debt of love toward one another. Now let me ask you this. Do you think God should be careful and precise about how he forgives you? 
Should he forgive you for every little shade of sin? Is his love absent-minded like a, like a doting grandpa who gives out candy? Or does he really know you and yet still love you? This is how we are to love and to forgive. We should be careful and precise in how we love one another. It is humbling to admit when we've sinned against someone else. And so we do everything we can to avoid it. We're just like the man who knows he has a debt and he sees the debt collector coming. We, we run and hide, right? When the uh, bill collector calls on the phone, are we inclined to answer the phone? No, we make ourselves scarce. But it's also not easy to acknowledge the sin that others have committed against us. Yes, we do have a tendency to keep track of errors at times, um, but it's also true that it hurts when others are nasty and sinful toward us. And so, uh, and that, that is, of course, especially true when, for those who owe us the highest debt of love. It injures us, and so sometimes we ignore it. We pretend not to see it. We try to be self-protective. We have a debt of love due to every man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet. But let me tell you for a minute before we continue what that does not mean. It does not mean to have a debt of love to everyone does not mean that we're supposed to flatter and lie to people. We are to speak the truth in love. So even as we forgive someone, we can still speak truthfully and think truthfully about his character and his sins. It does not mean that distinctions are erased. Uh, in fact, you must understand social distinctions in order to love someone, in, in order to love other people rightly. In fact, this is a, something that I've, I've observed more and more. Our lovelessness has obliterated our ability to make distinctions between people. And this has only been aided and abetted by all of our technological tools that we have, uh, Facebook and whatnot. But I think it, it, it's not Facebook's fault, it's, it's our lovelessness which is at fault. We talk and act the same way regardless of who we are with, young or old, men or women, rich or poor, educated or uneducated. We do nothing to show consideration for who we are talking to and being with. And similarly, uh, it does, you know, having a debt of love to everyone does not mean that our debt toward everyone is equal, right? When you, what you owe to your wife or to your son is not the same as what you owe to the man on the other side of the world who you've never met. My point is this, the debt of love that we owe to one another is immense. It has no bottom. And the fact that we don't see that is simply an evidence of our coldness and lack of love. So if we turn now from our debt, the debt that we owe to one another, what then about forgiveness? What does it mean to forgive? Just for starters, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean stuffing the memory of the sin in a box and shoving it up in the attic of our mind. A man can go his whole life thinking about that box that he has carefully packed away in the attic. He has convinced himself that he has forgiven his father, but his whole life depends on that box staying right where it is in the attic. If anyone finds it, let alone touches it or opens it, all hell breaks loose. 
Another way to look at it is it's like a soldier with a bullet wound. The doctor has come and dressed the wound and it seemed like it was healing fine, but the, but, but the bullet remains inside and now an infection has come. Many of us have a wound like that. We tell ourselves that we've moved on, that we've dressed the wound right, but we never took out the bullet and so the infection is spreading. We're bitter and touchy. The pain we're living with casts a fog over everything and we interpret everything as a kind of a slight against us, as if people are out to get us. This is not what it means to forgive. To forgive someone means to cancel the debt that they owe to you, to forget about it, to send it away. It's gone. The scar may remain, but the wound is healed. Here's how Psalm 103 describes the way that God deals with our sin. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So how do we know whether we've truly forgiven someone? Here are some questions you can ask yourself to see whether you've forgiven. Can you think about the person who sinned against you without wishing for revenge? Or do you daydream about them getting their comeuppance or being embarrassed or being slighted? Can you wish them well? Can you grieve at their calamities or do you laugh when they have trouble? Can you pray for them? Are you willing to face them and seek reconciliation? How many of us, when someone sins against us, are we, uh, how many of us are unwilling to even look at them or talk to them? Are you willing to help them if the opportunity presents itself? Can you speak calmly about it to a close friend or your spouse without growing angry or bitter? Can you talk about it without waving it away or lying about it? You know, I, th I think a common um, thing that we do in our day-to-day -day speech is if someone sins against us, we just very casually say, oh, that's okay. Well, is it okay? No. Usually the answer is no. Um, what we need to say is, I forgive you, right? <clears throat> can you answer, how, how can you, if you ask yourself these questions, what is your answer? Have you actually forgiven the person who sinned against you? What does it not mean to forgive someone? There is such a thing as false and hypocritical forgiveness, and we are not nearly suspicious enough of ourselves when we consider our forgiveness of others. So here's a few things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness does not mean a lack of emotion. In fact, a lack of emotion about sin, particularly if it's serious, probably indicates that you have a lack of forgiveness, right? Sin is awful. It's painful. Forgiveness does not mean that we stick our emotions in the freezer. Forgiveness also doesn't mean that there are no serious consequences for sin. Sin is terrible and often has terrible consequences that can never be repaired. A family may split apart as a result of sin. <coughs> the sinner might lose his job. He might go to jail. That all may be true, and yet we still have an obligation to forgive. We don't delight in those punishments as one looking for revenge, but we accept them. <clears throat> They're part of it. Forgiveness also doesn't mean that we are bound to trust them. 
And this is an interesting comment that I read uh, from Thomas Watson. He said, we are not bound to trust an enemy, but we are bound to forgive him. A man who has, been, who, has proven himself, who has proven repeatedly to be a liar can be forgiven even if he's not trusted, right? <clears throat> Another thing about forgiveness is that it is often true that it doesn't just happen at one point in time. You've probably had the experience of trusting God one day for the forgiveness of someone, and then that thought comes back from a new angle on a, on a later day, and we have to trust God again and forgive the person, understanding with our better understanding of what actually happened and the sin that was actually committed against us. <clears throat> so in conclusion, I'd like to raise just a couple objections that we have to our duty to forgive others. The first one, we all know. And it's simply this, the sin against me is just too great. It hurts too much. I can't possibly be expected to forgive that. Do you remember the story that Jesus told about the slave who begged for forgiveness and then failed to forgive his fellow slave? Who do you think you are in that story? Who do you think you are? Or what about the story where Jesus is asked whether it's proper to forgive a brother seven times? Do you remember his response? Seventy times seven. Let me ask you this. Which is worse, the sin committed against you or your unwillingness to forgive? Be careful how you answer that question. I know it's hard to forgive. It's, it's like having your heart ripped out of you a second time after already having been sinned against. But do you think God is unaware of this? He knows how hard it is, and he has commanded that we forgive one another. The second objection makes me think of Republicans and Libertarians, and it's this. But pastor, if I forgive this sin, there will be just more of it in the future. Right? This is... Uh, a common objection to, um, uh, what is that called, social help or whatever, helping people. Um, <clears throat> and my answer, the answer is simple. That may be so, and yet we are still commanded to forgive others. Another response to this could be simply this. Is that how God has dealt with you? Does God have some sort of uh, uh, limit on your account of how much he needs to forgive you or can forgive you? How do you think this world will be reborn? God sent his son to die on the cross in order to make his enemies his friends, not by getting his revenge, but by forgiving their sins. And here, I want to end this sermon by tying it back to the question I started with. Do you have faith in God? Do you trust him? Do you trust in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? And this right here is why faith and forgiveness are inseparable. Like faith and works, faith and forgiveness always walk hand in hand. Forgiveness means that we are trusting God 
to work powerfully to cause change. A lack of forgiveness means that we're trusting ourselves. And so when we forgive others, we are acknowledging that we desperately need God's power. At the bottom of it all, what is it that we need to be able to forgive one another? We must believe that God is good, that God is true, that He will make all things right, that God will work to change our enemies to our friends, and, and at the bottom of it all, that God has forgiven us. Do you trust God? Then you must forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your forgiveness, and we confess that we are stingy with our forgiveness and proud and hard-hearted. We ask that you'd please forgive us for this. Please enlarge our hearts. Make, it, make them tender toward you. I pray that we would forgive the way that Christ has forgiven us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.